So if you've got a Bible, it would be helpful. Um, but before I get to that, I've got a bit of a confession to make, actually. I was away last weekend, uh, so if you were here, I wasn't. Um, and here's my confession. I missed being here. Quite a lot, actually. I got up on Sunday morning, and I was like, oh, I'm not even doing my king. And I was in the Lake District, and it was great, and it was good, but it wasn't the same as being here. So it's awesome to be back. Whether you think it's awesome I'm back or not is up to you. But I'm glad to be here, and I'm happy that we can be. But I've got a bit of a question for you before we get to our Bible reading, which is Acts chapter 3. Is that have you ever got more than you bargained for with anything? Like maybe you've been one of those lucky people that gets a free upgrade on their flight. Um, I tried it on our honeymoon. I know that I think your wife got a free upgrade. I'm not sure how she did it. I tried on our honeymoon, said we're on honeymoon. They were having absolutely none of it. But getting more than you bargain for, I think, can be a really good thing. Or it can be a bad thing too. A plus would be getting a free upgrade on your flight. But a negative, getting more than you bargain for, might be finding some sort of insect larva in your marge too. Happened to my wife. Um, we didn't get it. It was from Sainsbury's, by the way. Don't buy your marge too from Sainsbury's. Insect larva in there. Now, the second time I ever met Grace, I think she got more than she bargained for. I think. I think she thought I was this wonderful young man. Um, and then she got to know me a little bit. But she made some comments. This is one of the first uh, chats we ever had. She made some comments and she said, oh, I'm quite cold. And I thought, okay, right, here's, here's a chance. Here. So I gave her my hat. And as I gave her my baseball cap, it was a company, you think, you're already thinking this is a bad story. It was accompanied with a fantastic line that I highly recommend to all the bachelors here. So if you're a bachelor here, you've got to try this line out. Because it worked for me. Okay? I'd just been in America. I'd just been doing some lifeguarding all summer. And so when she said her head was cold, I thought, I know. As I said, I gave her my hat and I said, Did you know that you lose most of the heat from your body, from your head, your armpits, and your groin? So here's a hat. And now she's my wife. Can you believe it? I can't. But it worked, and two years later, we got married. But in Acts chapter 3, we meet a man who gets more than he bargained for. So I want to read it together. If you've got your own Bible, that's great. It's Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So it's only a short passage. Acts chapter 3. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple, so asking for money. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for arms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. A little bit of a wee reminder for you 
as to where we've come from so far. Jesus has ascended. He's gone to the right hand of the Father. He's no longer strolling the Middle East. If you went to Israel today, you're not going to find Jesus. He's gone to be with his Father in heaven. That's where he sat. That's where he is. And uh, his disciples, those that were following him, all gathered together in Jerusalem. There was about 120 of them. And as they were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And that's where you get Pentecost and the start of the church. And following off the back of that, Peter, the Apostle Peter, preaches this incredible sermon that you can read in chapter 2. And 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus at the end of it. That's quite a number of people get saved. And then at the end of chapter 2, you see how that changes the way that they live. Carl talked about it last week, about living generously. The people, because they were in this amazing community, they loved one another, they uh, gave if people were in need, and they prayed together. And one of the things that we see as a mark of the Christian community was in 2.43. And it says, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And chapter 3 records almost the first miracle that's done by someone other than Jesus. Jesus in body isn't there. This is just Peter. This is the man who denied Jesus three times. And this is his mate John. They've been following Jesus around for three years. But they're not divine. They're not the God man. But we see here that through the Holy Spirit, these two normal, ordinary men, which is what they were, through God, bring healing to a lame man. Peter and John, this is just give you the story. I'll just kind of, I've read it, but just give you an idea. They're going to the temple for afternoon prayer. So it's three o'clock. It's when all the devout religious people will be heading to the temple. And as they do, on route to the temple, there's a lame man at the side of the road. I don't know if you were listening. How long has he been lame for? If you were listening. Since birth. So since birth, he's always been lame. He's never walked. He's never played catch. He's never played knock-a-door run. Gutted. I am uh, my best man. This is just a bit of a tangent. But I'm the only person ever to be banned from who was my best man's house. Because I played knock-a-door run on the neighbor's opposite and ran straight into his house. Always, if you're going to play knock-a-door run, do it around the corner. Don't do it where people can see you. But this guy, this guy who can't use his feet, He's got no strength in his ankles. He's carried by his mates day in, day out, and placed in the same place. Placed in a strategic spot that he will get all the devout religious people as they walk past. Because those people will be generous, or so he thought. Just want you to think for a second. This man wouldn't be married because he couldn't provide for his family. This man wouldn't have a job. He wouldn't have a nice pad. He wouldn't have many places to go. He wouldn't be hanging out with his friends day in, day out, because all he would have to do every day is sit in the same spot. Because if he doesn't sit there, he's going to have no income at all. He's going to have no food at all. He's completely reliant upon his friends. If they don't come to his door at 9 o'clock in the morning and pick him up and take him and sit him down there all day for the people that pass by, he's got no hope. But he's been like it since birth. We don't know how old he is. They estimate that he'll be between 30 and 40, based on the description given and the kind of things that are around the story. That's a long time to be taken to sit at the same place, a long time to be begging. And so this man sat there, sees Peter and John and cries out. He says, give me some money, which is what he'll do to the passerbyers. I want your money. 
I want to be able to survive. And this is what it says happens in verse 4 through 6. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He gets way more than he bargains for, doesn't he? Isn't that good? But in a good way, he gets way more than he bargains for. He just wants money. He just wants silver. He just wants gold. And Peter and John say, actually, we don't have any of that. And if you read the end of chapter 2, you know why? Because they've shared everything with everyone else. Money is no longer the most important thing for Peter and John. It's a bit of a challenge for us there, isn't it? They didn't have any silver or gold because they shared it with those that were in need. And he says, I've got something far more valuable. I've got some, something far more valuable than all the money in the world, all the gold, all the silver, and it's Jesus. Peter then tells him, rise up and walk. And in verse 7 and 8, we see he took him by the right hand. Peter reaches down, grabs him, raises him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles are made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking, not only walking, so if he's, his legs aren't working, he's walking, he's leaping, it's pretty impressive, and he's praising God. He's been lame from birth, but immediately he's healed. It's amazing, isn't it? We're not looking particularly amazed. I think this is amazing. Since birth, yeah, some wows. His ankles are made strong. I want you to remember the guy who's writing Acts is Luke. Does anyone know what Luke's profession is? He's a doctor, a medical doctor. And so the medical doctor says, this man's been healed miraculously. If anyone's kind of going to give a, an authority on whether something is miraculous or something that he's been healed by medicine or not, it's the doctor. So we'll take his word for it. And he says three times in this passage that this man walks He's as if making a point here. No, he's walking. No, he's really walking. Oh, have I said it twice? He's really walking. This man who's never walked before in his life is walking. Now, I had a knee operation about four years ago. And I was on crutches and I had my left leg from here all the way down to my ankle in this horrible, huge cast. Because my knees dislocate. This is where you've got to feel sorry for me. They pop in and out. People that dislocate their knees and break their legs say it's more painful. Just saying. Thank you. Thank you. And I had to learn, when it came out of the cast, I had to learn to walk again. My calf was non-existent. My muscles just hadn't been used for six to eight weeks. Now imagine never ever having to use your legs. And yet immediately he's walking. Immediately he's leaping. It's incredible. We would have to learn to walk again. Yet immediately he's walking, he's leaping, he's bearing weight on his legs. That's the story, and I think it's remarkable, but I think there's some things that we can kind of pick up, pick up on in terms of applications, and I think there's one or two things as well that we can say, well, this is what we believe here at this church. And I want to start with verse 4 and 5. It says this, it says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, I think it'd be quite easy, given the context of this miracle, to just pass over this little conversation that Peter and John have with the man. But as they're walking by, as the man asks for money, Peter and John stop and say, no, hold on, look at us. Look at me, I want your attention. Peter and John didn't just breeze by him. 
You know the temptation is when someone's begging or asking for money is, as we walk past is to just chuck a couple of quid in and carry on on a journey, isn't it? To not give two thoughts, just go, oh yeah, there you go. Peter and John stop, they're intentional, and they engage the man who is in need. I just I was just thinking about my own kind of life, it might be just me, I don't know, but with charitable giving sometimes, don't we just throw money at things in a kind of disconnected way? Say, oh yeah, I'll give to that. And then we just get on like nothing's happened, nothing's changed. We don't have the sympathy and the empathy. And our heart doesn't go out to the person, just our wallet does. But Peter and John stop and get him to fix upon them. Actually, Peter and John kind of invest in this man. You see that they walk off with him to the temple. After they've healed, he's part of their crew. He's friends with them. He's brought into their family. And often we don't like kind of getting personal with people because we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to get messy. We don't want to get rejected. But Peter and John stop and fix on him and engage with the man. They say, look at me. Some of you aren't looking at me. Look at me. Makes a difference, doesn't it? If you look at me, you're hearing what I'm saying. You're focused. I say it with Evangeline all the time. Evangeline, look at me. And she'll look everywhere but me because she doesn't want to hear what I've got to say. Now, I watched the video from last week because it wasn't here. And Carl Beach was talking about generous living. So I'm going to look at the camera when I say this because he's not here. You talked about your car. So I want you to look at me. I would like it. That's the test now. We'll know if he watches or not. But if you're fixing on someone, you're listening, aren't you? So what does this mean for us? I think this means for us when we're... When we pray, when we're together, I want us to be intentional with one another. I want us to get involved with each other's lives. It means, I think, laying hands on one another when we pray. Not just praying, and it's great to pray from a distance, and I want us to encourage to be praying for each other in the week, but to actually get alongside people and pray with people. Putting an arm around someone. How can we be involved? How can we do that? Well, we can give our prayer, we can give our time, we can give our money, we can give our lives for the cause of God. And we can't do those things in a disconnected way. We have to do that in a way that we deliberately engage with what we're doing. The man fixes on Peter and John because he thinks he's going to get money. But he gets something far more valuable. He gets physical healing, but I also believe he's spiritually healed as well. Because he starts leaping and praising God. And the man goes into the temple to worship. He's probably never, in fact, he's never been in the temple to worship. We know that because they wouldn't let people that were crippled into the temple. He's never been in. He's never been into worship with God's people. What's the first thing that he does? He goes and he worships. He knows that Jesus is Lord. And it made me just think, I said this a couple of weeks ago. But those of us that are Christians, the world is watching us. Your friends, your neighbors, they're looking at you to see what difference does knowing Jesus make in your life? Does it make a difference? And they ask that question, why have you got hope in your heart? People will be looking and watching you and expecting something from you. So I want to say give them something even better. We have to give them Jesus. We don't give them ourselves, but we give them Jesus. But we get involved with them in order to do that. So that's the first thing I want to say that I think we can learn from this passage, is that we have to be intentional with our time. We have to be intentional in our love for people, in engaging with them. We don't just ask how they are on a Sunday, but we draw alongside them in the week. That's why getting into the home groups and getting plugged into the community is so important. 
Because it's, I don't think being a Christian or church is not just turning up to one service on a Sunday. But it's all of your life together. We have to almost stop for one another. The second thing I want to say, quite obviously, this won't come as a surprise for you based on the passage, is about praying for the sick. I want to say that we believe in it, we're going to do it, and we'll continue to do it. Not because we have some special ability or magical powers or we carry authority, but it's rather in whose name we declare. Verse 6, if you've got your Bible, says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it's that thing again, what are we offering people? When we open our mouths, are we hopeful? Are we faith-building people? Peter says, I don't have any money, but I've got Jesus. Is that what we say? I don't have wealth. I don't have a house. I don't have a car. But you know what? It doesn't matter because I've got Jesus. I don't need those things. I don't need the latest map book. I don't think. I feel sad for you if you say, I've got money, I've got cars, I've got homes, I've got a career, but I've got no assurance. I don't know Jesus. He's more valuable than all silver and all gold. Before I elaborate on why the name of Jesus is important, let me just share a little story on how not to pray for the sick. I thought it would be helpful for there to be kind of some practical kind of stuff to help us. I was at a conference some years ago, I'm not going to say how many, and I was praying for a sick lady, which is great that she'd get better. She was having knee pains, so we were in the same boat, which is great. And she was out the front, so I went out to the front to pray with her. And um, as I'm doing that, because we're at a conference, the leader, who's on the mic, a little bit like me, starts telling me off down the microphone. He says, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm just, just, just praying for her. It's like, you don't need to pray. You don't need to pray for it to be healed. You command it in Jesus' name. You just say it and it will be made right. I was like, okay, I'm just going to ignore you. And I carried on praying. Carried on asking for God to have mercy upon this woman. You see, what we tend to see is you might have seen when it comes to healing, you might have seen shows in America with faith healers, or you, you kind of attach all these kind of funny things to it. That's not what I'm suggesting is going on here. What I'm suggesting and saying is, well, we believe actually what's written in the Bible is, says, well, actually, if you pray for the sick, it talks about it in James, it says, get the elders round, anoint with oil, pray for the sick. Why would that be in James if people were never healed? So people can be and are being healed today from not only physical problems, but spiritual problems, emotional problems too. Because God's heart is to restore those that are broken. You know the story, don't you? All was well in the garden and Adam and Eve sinned and the whole of mankind fell because we rejected God and we were broken image bearers. Things went wrong. We get sick. We pick up illness. There's death now. Where there was none before. There's brokenness. And you know what God's heart is to do? Is to restore the brokenness. Is to bring healing. Is to help those who are in need. And in Jesus, ultimately, all the wrongs ever are righted. All of them. We say, oh, okay, well, I'm still sick and I've been prayed for for years and years and years and years. 
That may be the case. But one day you will be healed. One day, all those that trust in Jesus will be made right. That's the hope that we have. One day, my knee will never ever dislocate again. And it will be fantastic. God does heal us physically and emotionally. But clearly I want to say that it's not about Peter. Some people read this passage and go, it's all about Peter. Peter's got the power to do this. But it's all about Jesus. And it's all about Jesus' authority. It's Jesus who brings the healing. You know, if I'm praying for you, I can't heal you. But Jesus can. So we don't command, we ask. We ask and call upon God for his mercy. Because I, uh, was actually my dad was mentioning this this morning a little bit. We ask for a glimpse of what we see in heaven. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we experience in this life can be glimpses of what we will experience in heaven. In heaven, in a place where there is no pain, no suffering, no sickness, all the wrongs are righted, I'm keen and hungry and will pray for glimpses, moments, heavenly moments in our time together on earth where people are restored. You know, if you give your life to Jesus, that is a heaven invading earth moment. That's a miracle. That's the moment you pass from death to life, from darkness into light. And we can't usher in God's kingdom because of me or because of you. It's because of God's presence amongst us. That's why it's important when Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He doesn't say in the name of Peter, the apostle who got it wrong time and time again, walk. He says, in Jesus' name. Because the fact is this, Jesus is alive today. I hope we know that. Though he's not strolled in the Middle East, he's alive because he was raised from the dead. And the same Jesus who in his ministry, if you read the Gospels, healed people in his time on earth, didn't he? He was known for it. He would heal the sick. Well, we have, as Christians, have the same access to that very same Jesus today. Jesus hasn't changed. He's just changed his location. And here's the good news. You can go and see Jesus today. You can uh, take your friends to go and see Jesus and meet with him today. Because he's not confined to one place He's sovereign, which means he rules over all things, and he can work in every place. I think that's great news because let me just do a test here. Okay, I just want you to put your hands up if this is you. You don't have to tell me exactly what it is, but put your hand up this morning if you have come and you carry some sort of injury or some sort of illness. That's quite a few. Okay, now keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I want you to put your hand up if you came with someone or know someone that carries an injury or illness or sickness. I'll be amazed if there's no one. Yeah, everybody. Basically, we know, we know somebody, don't we? Who's not well or who is injured. And we say, well, what hope is there for that? Well, the hope is in Jesus and in meeting with Jesus. But the good news is you can meet him today. He's not confined to one place. We can meet with him here. You see, have you noticed when the miracle takes place? It's outside the temple. It's not in the temple where the miracle takes place. It's on the road to it. Now, certain people may say that God only did miracles back then, and he doesn't do them today. 
But I want to say that God is bigger than that. We can't say God can't do something today, that God can't bring healing if he doesn't want to. Because quite clearly in the name of Jesus, God can heal and will heal today. Because actually the result is that he's glorified. And that's what God is about. I want to say this when it comes to healing though. It's important to know this so that we have, I suppose, realistic expectations. And we think straight on this matter. If someone is sick, we should pray for them. If you know someone that's sick, I want you to pray for them. That's what we should do. But I want to say the ultimate goal of us praying for them is not necessarily that they be healed. The ultimate goal. The ultimate goal should be that they've loved Jesus. I want to pray, you know, if, if you're sick, that you get better. But if you don't know Jesus, what's it worth? You're just better for a time. But actually, we want to see people healed so that they have stories of how God has graced them. And just as in this story, if you read the end of the chapter, he's leaping, he's praising God. And all the people in the temple are going, hold on, hold on. That's, uh, that's the crippled fella with the dodgy legs. Why is he bouncing? What? Why is he walking? He can't do that. And then there's, oh, he's been healed. Oh, well, how's that happened? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. And that's exactly what Peter does. And guess what? More people are added to the kingdom of God. The fact is, though, I talked about uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're not there yet, are we? God's kingdom hasn't fully come to earth, which means the sick will be among us. And it also means that not everybody we pray for is going to be healed. God, at his own will and his own timing, elects who he brings his healing to. And I don't really have an answer for why some people are healed and others aren't, other than who can know the mind of God. That's the only thing I can say. I don't have an answer. But I want to say this. Often when it comes to healing, you hear one or two sections of teachings that are quite extreme. And I want to say that both of these statements are awful, horrible things to say to people. The first is, God used to heal, but he doesn't anymore. Don't get your hopes up. That's an awful thing to say to someone. And it's not true. The other extreme is this. God has to heal. He heals everyone. And if he doesn't heal you, it's then your fault. If someone ever says that to you, that's an awful thing to say. And it's not what God would say. And it's not the picture that the Bible paints. God knows and God is able to heal, but we cannot force the hand of God. We just plead for his mercy. We ask for him to do so. Which is why we need to pray for the sick. It's interesting, isn't it? Christ was the power, but Peter's was the hand. Peter stopped. Peter still picked up the man. Peter was involved in. Peter didn't perform the miracle per se. Jesus did. But Peter was his hands and his feet. We may have loads more questions. I think we probably do. Um, I'm not going to do a Q&A now on why is there sickness? You know, why does God heal some? Why does God heal others? Um, don't have time for everything now. You know, one of the questions is, do we then need medicine today if God heals? I just want to quickly kind of touch on that, not just because we've got doctors present and I want to kind of keep them employed. 
but because Luke, the author, was a doctor. If you're sick, pray for people, get prayer. But also if you're sick, go and see a doctor. Go and get medicine. It's God's grace to us that we have these things that can bring healing to our bodies. And I want to say this, if a doctor brings healing to your body by prescribing the right medicine to you or performing a correct surgery or whatever, or whether God heals you by a miraculous act, it's still both of them are ultimately by the grace of God. And both are something to be thankful for. You know, you hear horror stories. I've heard horror stories in the States where there was this church and the leader's children were sick. And they refused, because they believe God healed today, refused to take their child to the doctor. And you know what happened? Their child died. It's stupid. Take your children to the doctor. It's okay. But pray for them as well. And even better, when you have doctors that are Christians. And doctors that prescribe medicine. And then they say, oh, actually, I pray for you as well. Isn't that amazing? We go to our doctors and we go to the people that God has graced us with. Um, but also God heals today. And I just want to close with these verses from 9 and 10. It says, All the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him, this is the beggar, as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Don't you want to be a part of a community that are in a state of wonder and amazement at who God is and what God has done. Now we should be that anyway. But you know if you see someone that was sick and God miraculously heals them, what does that do for your faith? What does that do for your expectations of what God can do today? It builds it. You're in awe. You're in wonder. You're in amazement of what God can do. You know what? If God can take us from death to life and save us eternally, he can heal my knee if he wants to. Whatever sickness or injury we carry, God can and is able to bring healing to us. God does the most amazing things, namely giving his one and only son for you and resurrecting him from the grave. Because I want awe and wonder not only to come upon this community. But do you know what happens when awe and wonder comes upon God's people? It spreads. People hear stories. Awe and wonder. Wow. What's going on with God's people there? I want to meet this God that this person's talking about. It spreads. The kingdom of God advances. So I just want to pray now. And um, we're going to, I think, cut out the video as well. um, Because I'll pray and then I'll just explain what we're going to do. We're going to sing, but I'm going to explain what we're going to do. So let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, in Acts chapter 3, we see that Peter and John can be used by you. That we know that if we are people, we can be used by you today to do your work. That we can be your hands and feet. Christ, yours was the power and the miracle was Jesus's, but the hand was Peter's. And Lord, we pray that you'd use us to advance your kingdom. We pray that you'd use us to pray for the sick, to comfort the afflicted, to provide hope for the hopeless. Lord, would you change our hearts and help us to be more intentional with our time? That we'd say, no, stop, look at me, because I've got something that will change your life. I've met Jesus, and I need to tell him. I need to tell you about him. Lord, would you change our hearts and make us more like him? 
in Jesus' name we pray.